You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 140. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening on this season two finale. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this show, I'll be speaking with Diana Chaplin of dianachaplin.com about her experience using Squarespace. And as I said earlier, you have heard me right. This is the season two finale. Season three is starting in June. I've already started to prepare the guest list and the subjects we're going to be covering. And man, there are some juicy subjects we have not yet crossed in this lively show so far. So just stay tuned, hold your horses. We have some amazing guests and subjects, which I'm so excited to dive into. As of today, we have an amazing episode as our finale with a new format. I'm excited to hear what you think about. And in May, we're going to be looking at the all-stars of The Lively Show season one and season two. So you will still get new episodes going forward in these weeks. I've asked listeners on Instagram what episodes from season one and season two they listened to the most, the ones that had the most juice that they still go back to time and again to get wisdom. I myself will even go back to old Lively Show episodes from seasons one and two in the archives to get some new inspiration, new stories, and new motivation in my own life. So some of these episodes are actually my favorite picks and others are from the listeners. So I cannot wait to share those with you and also in the intros and outros share the pieces of those episodes that have stuck with me, how they've changed my life personally, and more. And of course, in May, I will be in Europe. I have a one-way ticket to Europe. I think I'm going to come back in July, but who knows? After a few developments today, even that may not be the case. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So stick around and we'll find out together where I am. I think I'm going to end up being a Carmen San Diego. where in the world is just today person, but I cannot wait to take you with me through the video blog, the vlog, if you will. You can find those vlogs as they will go live on my trips at JessLively.com. So stick around there on the blog area as those vlogs get released as I record my travels. In addition, I also have new vlogs on different subjects that are not necessarily travel related that will be released soon as well. So again, stick around JessLively.com to see those. I can't wait to share what we've been cooking up. Now let's move on to today's episode. We're talking with Mylik Teal, who is a fan favorite and one of my personal favorite people of all time, who has been on The Lively Show in the past. Mylik is the founder of Curlbox.com, a subscription service for naturally curly hair. And she also has amazing nuggets of wisdom over at MyTaughtYou.com and the My Taught You podcast. I love her. We have become friends over the years since we've done our first episode in season one. And in this episode, we're going to be tackling Q&As together because both of us on both of our shows are very accustomed to answering listener questions. And we decided to do it together because it provides a really interesting contrast and way to build upon each of our ideas. We both deeply respect each other and our approaches to life, but sometimes we approach things a little differently. So it's really cool as you listen to the 
questions that are asked and how we both approach each one because you'll kind of notice this back and forth growing on the conversation. I'll answer, then she'll answer hers, and then what she says inspires me to bring up another point of view and then vice versa. So it's a really cool way to cover a lot of ground, including relationships, career, business, celebrating wins, whether or not we even celebrate them at all, and so much more. Let's go to the show. Mylik, thank you so much for coming on the show, not only just because you're coming back, but also because you are wrapping up our season two of The Lively Show. I am so excited to be here. Huge fan of your show, Jess. Well, I'm a huge fan of everything Mylik. So where are you at since we last spoke? I am in Atlanta, but I have moved. So I am in a new home and there is some delivery happening today. So I have my dining table and chairs are here. I have moved and I'm just kind of going through the process of being a new homeowner. I remember watching when you were doing all of your painting. You're, are you still doing stuff? I have a few more things to do before the home tour gets photographed. It's mostly done. So that's sort of what I'm up to. Still working, still curl boxing and my taught ewing. Not much has changed since then. Just more work. So let's get started. Let's dive into those questions. For sure. Okay. So for those of you that don't know, I allow for my taught you friends to ask me questions and it's on my website, mytaughtyou.com. And I literally have hundreds of questions in the queue. When I get a chance, I get to answer them. But today I want for Jess to tackle some of the questions. You'll answer first, Jess. We'll see if we can agree on some things. Okay. So first question. Hey, Jess, first and foremost, thank you for this platform. So she says, I'm currently going through the aftermath of a not so pretty breakup. And now I'm at a point where I feel as though I have lost focus inside of myself with no clear direction on how to get back on track and focus on me. Any suggestions? Well, I just went through a breakup, but it was under different circumstances. So it sounds like this person, it may not have been mutual or positive in the breaking up, which I think is much more usual when it comes to breakups. So the one thing though with mine that I found so powerful was reading the book Conscious Uncoupling. So if this person can take a shot at trying Conscious Uncoupling, the affect labeling part of it in particular was really, really helpful to be able to start labeling your emotions. So that was huge. What exactly is that? Because I'm not sure what that is. Okay. So what you do is you are experiencing an emotion, but so often we just have them when we try to block them instead of labeling them. So it feels overwhelming and we just want to avoid the feeling of overwhelm or stress or sadness or anger or frustration or rage, whatever it might be. And so when you label the emotion, they've shown that it actually de-escalates our experience of it. So it's more manageable. So she would be asking herself as she's having whatever is going on in her life, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling rageful, how else are you feeling? I'm feeling hopeful, how else are you feeling? I'm feeling scared. You can have all of these emotions within seconds of each other or all at the same time, but by being able to ask yourself what you're feeling and put a label on it, it de-escalates the feeling of overwhelm that you experience from that emotion itself. So it helps you kind of get back down to earth a little bit more and also not avoid or push it away because when you avoid and push away, you really are just distracting yourself with some other numbing mechanism, which is not usually very useful. So by being able to process and experience the emotions and label them at the same time, that's really powerful. And other than that, I would say getting back to yourself, this is a huge time to get back to yourself because you're going to have much more time on your own to really look inward. So as much as possible, 
try to do new things that you didn't do before. So you start to create new memories that you didn't have from the past because it's easy to just live in what used to be and look at the lack of what is no longer in your life. But if you can take that time and reinvest it into family, friends, or online classes or personal development, that can be a huge way of using that time to get back to who you are. So I think when I look at the question, something tells me that she says now she's at a point where she feels that she's lost focus and lost sight of herself, where to me, I'm like, this tells me that you lost focus and lost sight of yourself while you were in the relationship. Before this not so pretty breakup, I feel like you must have lost who you were. You know what I mean? And I I feel like I see so many people who get so consumed with making sure the relationship works, making sure that it goes well, that they don't ever, or sometimes some people feel guilty about making themselves a priority. You know what I mean? And I think that now is a great time for you to establish yourself as an individual um, first. And even when you enter a relationship, just remaining um, whole in who you are. And I think it takes a lot of time to do that. Just I feel like when you and I talked on the phone last week, you talked about that sort of diagram, like the things like the overlapping things. Do you know what they call that? Oh, they call it a Venn diagram, if that's what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. So you've got the Venn diagram and it's just like making sure that when you merge with someone, the goal is not to merge the circles completely, but to make sure that stuff in the center is like your core values. And I think now is a good time to figure out what your core values are. Those are the things that you are looking for in a relationship. And then that stuff on the outside, that stuff that is specific to you. um, I think so often we want to have our partners do all of the stuff that we do, and they're just not going to, you know? So it's like, there, I can specifically tell you about a time that my boyfriend and I, he loves to like drive and go to these like swimming holes or whatever. And I'm just not into that. And just because I don't want to do that doesn't mean that we aren't compatible. It just means that that's the stuff that's in on the outside, your personal stuff. So what should you do? You don't have to force me to do it. You don't have to stop doing it because I'm not into it. You have to maintain that sense of self and just go on your own if you want or go and don't, I'll like sit on the side and read a book. But I think now is a time for you to figure out how to separate what are my core values in a relationship and what are the things that I need as an individual. And when I think about entering another relationship, not trying to force those outer things into the center. Amen. And on that subject, I think as someone who's right now going through a reacclimation process to being single, I think it's also so powerful not to put the pressure of finding and thinking about that next relationship necessarily right now. So yeah, I'm very clear, like you said, on the Venn diagram and the values I want to have overlapping. But what it's really important for me to do is not get so tied into when is that person coming into my life? When am I going to find that person? But to say, Because when I do that and I focus on the fact that they're not here now, that can make me feel this sense of lack and make me feel I'm going to be happier when that happens. And so I'm delaying my emotional positive state to when the guy is in my life. And every moment before that state, it's like somehow not quite as good. But I'm 10 times more likely to A, enjoy this season that is going to pass. Like this isn't going to be here forever. I won't be single forever. And 
I'm not going to enjoy it as much if I keep waiting just for the next one. So how can I fully live this chapter and also be more likely to attract that partner I want? The way to do that is actually to try to also learn how we can, and this is crazy and mind bending, but learn how we can tap into that emotional feeling we think we're going to feel when the person's in our life or whatever. And for anyone else that's in a relationship right now, you could say, when my job changes, when my house is the one I want to have, when my house is done decorating my leak, I know that's your thinking, when the house is done decorating then I'll be happier. But can we find a way to kind of trick the system to feel the emotion that we want to, we think we're going to feel? Can we feel it now? Because if, especially if you're single, you're much more likely to be open to new opportunities, fully enjoy this chapter of your life, and also attract that partner you want by feeling that great sense of feeling and coming from that energetic place than this idea of not having it in the lack of it in your life. Jess, I believe you and I, and this is what I admire most about you because I believe that you can do it. But I think for a lot of us, we do feel that like we, it's hard to not feel like you're waiting, but I think that that's a great idea. And I think for me, like I spent a lot of time being single and I just said to myself, I am going to do everything I want to do and not wait on someone to do it. So I went on a lot of like, I went out to a lot of like honeymoon places, you know, I'll be 37 next month. And I would see all these people going to different places. And I see resorts and magazines. And I have been at some lovely, gorgeous resorts, where I am the only person there. And I was like, I enjoyed myself. I went to a lovely dinner, I got dressed up, I went to a lovely dinner. It's like, do these things, do what you want to do. And don't wait, like, I'll do this when I have someone get out there and do all the things that you want to do with and without someone. And I promise you, you'll be better for it. Yeah. And actually, I'm about to go to Europe. So this is literally, I figured, you know, right now, if I had stayed in the relationship, I'd be trying to have kids right now and doing a big house addition. So now I'm in my 30s and I don't have that. And so what I've decided to do instead of looking at that as a loss is to say I'm maybe punting that a little down the road and I'm choosing to look at that and be flexible with how that's going to play out in my life. But what can I do right now? What is within my circumstances and my values something I'm capable of? And this trip to Europe, is scary because it's unknown and I have never gone for that long, especially alone to all of these countries I've never been to. But I'm so excited to, like you said, not let it stop me from going out there and experiencing life. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to move on to our next question. So I typically get some relationship questions and I get a lot of career questions. So this next question is a career question. So curious to see what you think. She says, I've been at my current company for seven months, but I'm starting to question it. I'm slowly realizing that this position and this company is just not a good fit for me. I've been out of college for two years now and want to leave, but I don't want to be perceived as a job hopper. What should I do? Check in with your intuition. Number one, one and only, one and done, very easy. Check in with your intuition. We can sit here and postulate on this all day long, my leak, and we can we can project what we think is true for you and whoever you are, your intuition has the answer you want. We do not. So I would say to start to check in with your intuition. If you're interested in doing that, I find that writing to my intuition is the most effective way to get the most information from it. And literally, this is stuff that I did not know before. So if you want to see an example of how to do this and seeing a letter is usually the biggest reason and motivating factor for people to actually go do this, check it out at JessLively.com slash intuition if you want to see that exercise. But my suggestion would be to go there because the answer you're looking for is inside. Okay. I would say that I agree with you, Jess, but I also would like to say that you are worried about how you are going to be perceived. And 
I think that she's projecting like she thinks that if somebody leaves a job after seven months, that makes her a job hopper. I would say that that makes you, if you left, that means that you are in tune with with what works and what doesn't work for you. And you have the guts to actually go out and make a change. And so if you check in with your intuition and you find that this just isn't for you, I feel like she checked in with her intuition. She's here and it's just not for her. I would say maybe not, though. Why? Okay, so I just had Barrett Brooks on the show. So you can listen to that episode if, for those that are listening. Or Mylik, you can go check it out, too. He thought he was going to have to leave his job. And this is so common. I get this so much from people that work with me. And they say, you know, I, I can't stand it another minute. And then we do the intuition. And the intuition's telling them in this moment, in this for this whatever period, this moment, this week, this month, or this year, this is not the time to make a shift. So their ego, though, tells them that getting out is going to make their lives so much better. But their intuition is actually telling them to stay. And so Barrett had this example and we just went through it in a great detail. What fa- what he found out was he had put all these expectations that he wanted to have when we look back at the Venn diagram from the relationship example. He wanted to have all the values overlap 100% with this company. And because he didn't, he thought he had to leave. And what he was going to do was go pour himself into some other company for the next six to 12 months until he realized it couldn't give him all the values because nothing like work or any area of our life can give us no partner, no job can give us all of our values. So when he looked inward, he found that what he really needed in introspection was more time in nature and writing for himself, which was not going to come from getting another job, though he could distract himself by pouring himself 100% into another job. After six to 12 months, he still would find it was lacking because he wouldn't be getting into nature and he wouldn't be writing for himself. So the company he was actually at that he wanted to leave was actually the perfect place because the values that the company had he did not share were actually lifestyle design. And they were very supportive of him going and getting his work done and then going skiing after his work was done. They didn't care. And he was going to have a hard time finding another place to do that or write on his own. But the place he was at was actually perfect. It was just his ego telling him it wasn't good enough. And he wanted to look outside of himself for the answer when really the answer was within and was actually right where he was. Amazing. I love that. And now I'm going to check that because that takes me back to, like, I went to like three or four universities because I don't know, I guess I thought college was going to be something it wasn't. But the truth is, you know, sort of, I guess where I am now, but I did eventually finish. But that was good. I like that. (laughs) I love this. This is fun. Yeah, this is fun. I'm enjoying it. Okay, because I feel like I'm learning some fun stuff from you, too. Yeah, I feel like it's also fun to see our back and forth of like all of an answer, you'll have an answer, and then your answer will bring me to another place, and then you'll come back. So we have like three answers to everyone's questions. We do. We do. Okay, next question. And I think this is cute. She's saying, hey, my, do you have any tips on how to edit or strengthen your circle of girlfriends? What do you do to keep your friendships growing? This is actually something I'm recently dealing with in my own life. I've been purposely in Ann Arbor. I've been traveling about every other week lately, so I've not been around a lot. So I've purposely kept my personal circle of friends here in Ann Arbor pretty small and tight, and I just would rather see them more often than spread out the circle wider. But one of the friends, and it's actually a guy friend, I found I was not enjoying he wasn't lifting me up and like I didn't really feel like comfortable sharing things because of his reactions to what I would say and then I would get defensive and then he'd be defending what he said and it was kind of this is not very great thing and I was just like this is not enjoyable there's so many other people that I have conversations with that are just purely fun or they bring me up in some way so I was trying to just kind of see him less often 
and just kind of like phased it out. And instead, he reached out and we were talking after a little while of me kind of punting the ball, if you will. And at first I was like just trying to make up excuses sort of, but they weren't lies, but I was just finding reasons we couldn't hang out. And then I was just like, you know, I should just say something instead of being passive about this. So I just said, you know, I just feel like there's something about our dynamic that's not really great. And I put both of us to say, you know, it's just like there's something between both of us. It's just not really I a positive and I'm just not really feeling it's really great for either of us and he got offended and hurt and it kind of sucked and it was like wow I you know honesty is the best policy and I, tr- I would try to do with tons of kindness and compassion but I just even feel like there was really no way I was gonna be able to say that and have a positive outcome so maybe I should have just avoided what do you think no I think the thing is is that when we are being honest and you know I think we've gotten into this whole you know, honor your truth. We expect for people to understand that as well. So every time you confront someone or say something, you can't have the expectation that they're going to get it. And I always think that sometimes people's first reaction is just their feelings are hurt. And then maybe they've had some time to think about it. But I don't know. I, you know, when she says how tips on how to edit or strengthen the circle of friends. I think just being very busy, the number of friends I think are limited. But in terms of editing, I have had some friends that they kind of have dropped off on their own. There have been some relationships that I just haven't nurtured because I'm not really interested. And I think the times when I have had to tell people like it's just not working I don't know. Maybe I just haven't said anything. Maybe I have just like avoid, avoid, you know, and hope that they fall off. I know. I think about Brene Brown was on the show and she was like, have the tough conversations. And usually, and she was speaking in the context of if you're making up a story of something, go ask them and and just have the conversation because nine times out of 10, or she would say, I don't think she's ever had a conversation where like the person was actually thinking what she was thinking. So it clears up a lot. But I guess in this, I, it was kind of, it wasn't a terrible conversation, but it didn't go as well as I would have liked. I don't know. I can't say it's a good thing to do that now just because it didn't go great, but it was true. And I thought it was better than just being passive. And I mean, the outcome's the same. You still aren't hanging out, right? Or you're not. Yeah. I said, maybe we just need some time to just kind of let it go a little bit. But it just sucks when you feel like you can't share with a person because you're afraid of their reactions to what you're going to say. And then you share that you're feeling that way and then they get defensive. It's it's not a positive. Yeah. Have you read the book Crucial Conversations? No. What's that about? So Crucial Conversations is a book that we read in our office because some of the girls struggle with, you know, they get that email. Someone says they're going to do something two weeks before they now say that they're not. And then it's like, okay, now it's time for a crucial conversation because, you know, we've planned for this or whatever. And there is a part of the in the book that it kind of teaches you how to have these hard conversations. And one of the, they give you tons of tips on how to do it. But there's one part of it where they say, start off by telling the person what you don't want to happen. What I don't want to happen is for you to, you know, become upset with me because of what I'm going to say, or what I don't want to do is fall out. What I don't want to do is end the friendship. So you start with what you don't want to do. And then you tell them what you would like to see happen. You know, what I would like to see is that we can, you know, have this potentially tough conversation and blah, blah, blah. And I think the third thing is to just kind of to address like the goals. You know, my goal for this is that we walk away with a clearer understanding or something like that. And I have tried it. I would say that like, it's still made for a 
no one's happy when you tell them that they're not, they're wrong or they feel like you're saying that. But I found that it kind of cleared up any sort of unnecessary back and forth. You know, it just, it ended the back and forth. It's like, this is what I hope doesn't happen. I'm going to say something. What I don't want to happen is this. What I would like to see happen is that. And this is my goal for the conversation. Fascinating. I was reading a book called The Queen's Code. This is more relationship wise, if you're going to have a crucial conversation there. And she suggested to have each person share from the framework of if I had it all my way, each person would say, if I had it all my way, and then they would share what they would want. And then they would find a way to come to an agreement based on what each person's all my way looked like. It didn't mean that the end result was each person had it all their way. But by I forget the psychology behind it. But there was some kind of power in framing it from that place that was really positive for people. It's kind of like what you just said. It's interesting that they said, start with what you don't want to have happen. To me, that would like send up all these signals and triggers and alarms to think that that's even on the table because it's been said. Well, no, I think that when you say what you don't want to happen is I think to just disarm someone by saying, I hope what I'm going to say doesn't end our friendship. I don't want to end our friendship with this conversation. I don't want for you to be upset with me about this. You know, like what you sort of hope doesn't happen. So I think that's, I mean, I think it's something to try. What do you do to keep your friendships growing? The ones that you have, like, you know, is there anything special that you do? Spend more time with them and share more areas of conversation or or realness with them if possible, if it feels comfortable. For me to keep my friendships growing and going is to check in on people for however long or short. Like I travel a lot. If I'm going to be in town, you know, if I'm going to be somewhere, I try to make sure that I see that person or see my friends, try to remember their birthdays. And I have like two or three big parties at my house every year. I usually do like my big Cinco party. And then I usually have like a a girl's day. Like, and I invite all my girlfriends, like girlfriends that don't even, you know, they may not all hang out together, but I get us all together and I do manicures and pedicures and champagne and chair massage for like four hours. And some girls, while some two girls are getting manis and pedis, two other girls are on the couch talking, you know, and it gives me a chance to kind of talk to see everyone face to face at one time. It's hard sometimes to keep up with everybody individually. Okay, this is an interesting question. She says, during one of my touch bases, my boss asked me, what do I need from him? I told him nothing. How do you respond to this question? That's a fascinating question. I don't know if she doesn't need anything. I guess she can keep that in mind for the future and think about things if they come up in the future. I think that, you know, if someone, it depends, I guess, probably more context, but if he just had a talk with you about maybe your performance and then he's asking, what do you need from him? It's like, do you need more guidance? Do you need more direction? Do you need something like that? If you don't feel like you need anything, then I guess the answer is no. But I would definitely make sure that I was clear about where I stood from a performance review. I would make sure I knew where I stood because if they don't feel like you're performing at a high level, then you should be asking them what they think you need. That's how we would respond to that question. Here's another, tell me what you think. You've spoken about it being okay to make mistakes at work, but to what extent? At what point does it become career ending or threatening? I'm in a new job that I'm growing into and I often feel like I'm messing up. I'm not used to not being good at everything and I'm worried that one day I might get fired. Well, thinking about the fact that you might get fired one day, I think is going to keep you kind of looking for the mistakes rather than all the things you're doing well. If you focus on where you went wrong instead of all the things you went right, I think you're kind of going to trip yourself up mentally 
into like a place that's not worth going. Now, that just is like her day-to-day thought process. But if she's learning and growing from her mistakes as she goes, then I would say if she's feeling really vulnerable about that, I would, if the intuition felt right, I would talk to the boss to see if what she's feeling is valid or not about the mistakes and the growth and like see how they're viewing her growth curve and what she's learning from the mistakes she's made already. But other than that, I would start to really focus on what she's doing well and what she can keep doing right so that she grows in that direction versus sending out the message and attention on the not right things. Because I think you're just going to exacerbate that in your life and your quality of life is going to suck regardless of whether you're making mistakes or not because you're thinking about mistakes all the time. Yeah. And I guess I agree with you when you say have a conversation with your supervisor or manager and kind of bring up the, I know I've made some mistakes. I just, you know, want to know and don't make the same mistake twice. People who are like, oh, if you keep messing up, if you keep messing up at the same thing, maybe this is not for you. Maybe you don't have the skills for it. Maybe you need some more training. And maybe that's a conversation, you know, you may have to get it on your own. What surprises me most about a lot of people who are entering the the workforce is that you haven't done, you've gone to college, you've gotten a degree, but you haven't done your job. And aside from what the manager tells you and aside from what you can glean from the job, you are doing no work outside of that to learn more. So if you have a title and a position, go take a class. There are all these things that can help you get better. And I think a lot of people are hoping that they're going to learn by osmosis and they're thinking, I'm done with school. I've got it. Like you have to keep working at it. And it's, it, I am doing the same thing. Like I am a new sort of boss and manager. I've been an entrepreneur, but I've not really had to like manage employees. Guess what I'm always doing? Reading books and talking to other people about how to be an effective manager and to do performance reviews and how to interview. Just because I'm in this space doesn't mean I'm going to know how to do it. I have to keep teaching myself. So I think that that's what you have to do. And I have a great story to help with this person and the mistakes she may have made. So this is obviously, depending on your boss and your culture, the situation and the mistakes you made, it's all relative. But there's a story, and I don't remember exactly how it goes. The, the details may be slightly off for those that know the story. I think it was the Johnson & Johnson CEO one day he had a guy come in and said whatever he did at his job he lost them like a million dollars and this is really long time ago i think this is in the 40s or 50s again all the details could be off but he comes in and he's like i lost all this money for the company i totally understand i'm going to resign because i've made this huge mistake and i've lost the company all this money and the guy looked at him and he said are you kidding i just invested a million dollars in your education is there any way you think i'm going to let you go now that you've in, that i've invested in this mistake. So not every supervisor is going to have that perspective on every situation, but how much more liberating is that to think about when you think about the mistakes you've made as actually you've invested in your education, like you said, don't do it again, but that it doesn't have to be a negative. It can be a part of the growth curve at that company. See, I think that's a great way to look at it. Okay. This might be a good one to you. Do you ever feel like your dating life interferes with your career? Sometimes when my boyfriend and I spend time together, I start to panic like I'm wasting my life away or something. Just wanted to know if you ever felt like this and how you cope. Well, right now I'm dating not seriously with anyone. So I probably just feel like don't go on a bunch of dates if I feel like it is distracting me. It's easy to get distracted, especially when you're in the early stages of things with people. It's very easy to get really into spending time with them and that kind of thing. I haven't really gotten into anything serious, but even just those initial first stages of really liking someone and wanting to see them a lot can be distracting. I think using your internal compass of your intuition is really powerful to like recognize when it's time to pump the brakes. 
I would guess that if you're thinking it might be feeling like that, it's probably a sign that it is time to pull back and make sure that you don't put all of your energy into one basket. This is the Jonathan Fields three basket theory. So he said, your most filled basket will always be limited by the least filled basket. So if the three baskets of your life are vitality, which is like your personal life and habits, your connections, which would be the dating would fall into connections or your relationships with other people, yourself and your source. And then the third being contribution. Now, most of the people I work with are pouring most of their energy typically into the connections or the contribution. They might be more focused on work. And then I've done this where I've poured everything into work and then I've drained the other baskets of vitality and connections. And eventually it's a, you have nothing left to pour into contribution and then you hate all of it and all of it sucks. But you can do the same thing in the relationship bucket. So she can also recognize she will actually probably make her relationship even sweeter and more enjoyable by making sure she doesn't lose touch with her vitality and her contribution as well. Uh, I don't know. Um, Every now and then I do I start to worry that I am doing too much recreation, you know? So I think sometimes when you are in a relationship, the person that you're with, when you get together, you tend to do things of recreation. And sometimes I will get this little sort of pop up in my head. Like I really need to buckle down and get some things done. And when I feel like that, I do it. Like it is not uncommon to spend a weekend, you know, with my boo and say, okay, listen, um, definitely want to spend the weekend with you. And I mean the whole weekend, like Friday through Sunday, but, on this day, I've got to at least just like sit at my desk from nine until three. So let's get together after three o'clock. And he's just like, okay, you know, and so I think if you are concerned about panicking, just make sure that you're carving out the time to get your stuff done and then getting your stuff done when you say you are. And so that's a really huge thing that I think I really, really schedule my life. So, you know, people, I think we, think like, oh, love should be spontaneous and all that other kind of crap. And it's like, if it's a priority, if it matters in your life, you have to live and die by your schedule. So every single minute of the day is pretty much scheduled. And then there may be blocks of time where I leave it open. But for the most part, I'm scheduled. So, you know, we'll have a conversation where it's like, okay, what are you doing after work? Like, we sit down on Sundays and sort of go over the weeks together and carve out different times of when we are going to get together. So I know tonight we have both, we were both out of town for five days of haven't seen each other. So I know tonight there is supposed to be a hanging out for a baseball game. And that's kind of like the plan, you know, and then I will work late a couple of nights. And so you just have to schedule it. Don't panic, make a plan. And also know your values, because I know that some people's priority at the end of the day, at the end of their lives, they really want to make sure they spend their time with their families and they can have this feeling of society pushing them to keep pouring more and more and more into work. So they may even also create this feeling of I should be doing more when the reality is they're just like buying into society's values for them versus checking in with themselves. But then there's the reverse where I know you shared with me on the call we had last week about work first and how you guys have that in your relationships. You've both are on board. Do you want to go into that? Yes. I took some time and I wrote down what I wanted in a partner. And I was just like, the first thing was I have to be with someone who's passionate about what they do because I really do love the work that I do. My work is important to me. I enjoy it. And if I'm going to be with someone, they need to feel the same way. And so I am currently in a relationship with someone who feels the same way. And we both have this deal of work comes first, which Some people would not like that, but we have this deal of if something 
very, very, very important with your work comes up, you have every right to do it. So if we are sitting at dinner and you need to take a call, you take it. If you need to push something or cancel something, you do that. But we pick specific days where you cannot do that. So it's usually, it may be a Friday night. Like we pick a day that's like the no questions asked, you must spend time. And so we, it, we had this Saturday one time and I'm out grabbing some groceries and he texted me. and was like, oh my God, two friends from New York just called and told me that they're at my job right now. And I was like, okay, you know what today is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, did it ever get violated? How did you resolve it? He was like, can I invite them over? You know, sure. So if you want to invite them over, because we were just hanging out at the house, it was our day to hang. Sure. But we have the days and then something will come up and he'll ask, but he's also okay with the no. Nobody falls apart because we already decided on what this day is. We live the kind of lives that stuff comes up at every second. Oh my God, so-and-so is in town. And it's just like, no. This is our day because we spend the other five to six days of the week allowing our work to interfere at all times. I think that's wonderful. And it could also be depending on someone's priority of values, right? It could be family first. And it could be like the minute anything interrupts work that is family related, that comes first. So the opposite could be equally true. And that's what's cool about having values. And we don't all have to share them, but we get to find how we want to live our lives based on our own. Yep. I agree. And you know what? I find that it works for me. I find that it cuts down on the guilt because I used to feel if I can't get up and take this call, I'm going to feel bad that I really need to handle this. And I'm going to feel bad that I didn't handle it. I'm going to resent you. It just helps to like, just cut that out. Like I'm going to eventually stop liking you if I feel like I can't have my phone up. So like we do things and we hang out together and we have our phones out and we might be emailing through dinner and some people may not be up for that, but we're cool with that, you know? And then when it's the day that we pick or that, or sometimes it's just an evening, a specific night where it's like, this is a no phone, no work, then you put it away. I like it. Yeah, it works. Yes, it works. So let me ask you a question, Jess. How do you celebrate the wins while you are so busy making amazing career moves? This is what someone asked me. I don't know that I fully celebrate them, to be honest, because if I celebrate the high high, I'm probably going to be equally tied to the low low. So I am not so focused personally. This is actually something I talked a lot about in Work and Worth is finding a way to have peace through the highs and the lows. And yes, I don't want to knock them off. I don't want to like stunt my feeling of positive feelings for the highs, but I also recognize that I'm often very quick to like say, oh, that's just what's supposed to happen or whatever. So I don't want to like minimize the highs or the celebrations, but really what I'm looking to do is have a really great quality of life that, like I said, that emotional ability to tap into emotions regardless of the outcomes that I mentioned earlier in this episode, that has been huge. Like what if I can just feel good, not based on a thing happening. So that's where my energy has been lately more than celebrating and picking out the wins is just how can I feel really good in this moment, period, regardless of what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I celebrate wins either. You know, I think for me, it's just trying to make sure that I celebrate myself regularly, you know, give myself a pat on the back, do something nice for myself, because it's like they say, what feeds you will starve you. If the high highs, like if that feeds you, if that if you need that juice and that gas and that celebration, like you won when you're not getting that. 
that's going to starve you. And nobody, I think Gary Vee says this, there's not one single undefeated entrepreneur. Like you will be defeated in this game and you just can't, the goal is to just try your best to celebrate yourself, give yourself a pat on the back. Like even when I mess up, like I've had some times where I have really messed things up. I try to just give myself a pat on the back for trying. Yes, you went out there and did something. If we can celebrate our effort rather than the outcome, that changes everything. Yep, you tried. Maybe you got rejected. Now, maybe you now know what you should have done. I look at those things and I'm like, you know, now I'm excited that I now know how to do this better. I now know how to to approach this because nothing is the end. And so that was something that I liked. So the other thing I was thinking of is focusing on the progress rather than the outcome. So again, going back to our own ability to act. So did you do your best regardless of the outcome of whether someone liked it or didn't like it or bought it or didn't buy it or all that stuff? Did you make progress from where you were the day before? Because that is within your control. You cannot control the outcome of someone else in your career reacting in some way because that's within their control. Our actions are all we really have to control. And if we happen to align our actions with the principle that gives us a good outcome in that circumstance, great. But we don't always know what those principles are to act on them. Or other things might be out of our control that happen. And we don't need to put and assign all of that blame or drama on ourselves. Like, let's just focus on our progress. And like I said, I think it's just really fun to start to really look at how can we start to just feel better during the day, regardless of the out, not looking at outcomes to provide that for us. I think that's where some real power could be, but I'm just like a baby getting started in that whole phase. Yeah. And you know, I think people are saying, you know, you are so busy making amazing career moves. I don't know that I, that I often view them that way. Like I can definitely say that the way other people may see my life is much different than the way I see it. How do you see it? I still feel like the little black girl in Inglewood, not sure if I would ever get out of that place. So I think when people see these things, like I have, you know, lots of accolades, I guess, if you will, I don't ever feel like, you know, my work is done. I don't ever feel like I know enough. I'm still working, you know, I'm still, I don't, you know, they're like amazing moves. I don't see them as moves. I just think that, and I try to say this as often as possible. If you stick with something, if you are consistent, if you drill down, eventually the oil is going to come. And I think what people see happening to me is just sort of like, the oil, you know, but I'm still drilling down. It's just finally something has happened. And, you know, my wealth managers say that I do this thing where I just run and I don't realize how far up the mountain I am. I'm just running. How does it feel to feel like you're constantly running? Oh, you know, it's scary. It's very scary because I was just in Jamaica for the last five days. And there are moments where I'm able to enjoy it. And within another breath, I'm worried. Should I be doing this? Is this too much? Is what too much? Relaxing. And like, am I having too much fun or joy? And if I have too much, will this end? You know what I mean? It's like, will this gap or this distance or like, will this one trip to Jamaica kick me back down the mountain? And it's hard. And so it sucks because you don't really get to enjoy these things because as I'm there, 
I'm now starting to get concerned about, am I handling this? I do have concerns that like, if I step away from my business for X amount of days, are people going to work just as hard as they do when I'm there? And so then I start to like make sure that my presence is felt. So now I'm just like obnoxiously emailing and, you know, like, hear me, hear me, hear me, because this can't end. And so it's tough. I don't know that you ever pop that bottle of champagne and really relax, which takes me to, uh, I've been talking about Kobe Bryant on my social media quite a bit lately. And there's this article that I read that he did the game. He does his, the end of 20 years and that he was up at work at 8.30 the next morning. You just retired and you're back at work. You didn't even take three days off. What did he do the next day? He went to work. What, what does work look like after you're retired? He went to his office. So, so he apparently, I think he has this like, um, this sports drink that's supposed to rival Gatorade that he's doing. He paid for his own like sort of documentary, documented the last like few years of his career. And he apparently taught himself piano. Like he's got all these things that he's trying to figure out how to do. And I think my obsession with studying Kobe is like, am I, am I, do I have the same problem, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, he's just not celebrating, but that doesn't mean what he's doing. I think you mentioned this before we got on the call. You don't have to believe in the person to adopt the habits, but we also have to question, this is what Gary mentioned on my episode with him is self-awareness, right? Just because that's right for Kobe doesn't mean it's right for you or me. And just because what the way you approach your career is very different than the way I approach mine. And I'm curious on how do you feel about hearing Kobe went to work the next day? Because to me, that's not something I personally aspire to, but is it something you do? It is something I do. And I think that what I'm looking for is, they always say that like, you can always, you can feel alone until you pick up a book. And I think that I'm like picking up things to try to understand how I am because I can be that way. I can very much be that way. And just trying to understand like, how is he that way? Like, does it matter? And I tweeted a couple of things about it. And I just said, you know, I'm very ambitious. So I'm naturally attracted to stories and people with ambition for no other reason than it lets me know I'm not alone. But your life should be lived the way you want to live it. There's no rule book on what makes a good life. It's just about our choices. And your values and living those because you will feel fulfilled because you're showing up at 8.30 a.m. I will feel fulfilled because I am not. <laughs> yes. And I just said, my favorite saying is that feelings are not facts. And I have never, like my feelings are not the truth. My feelings are not even my truth. So all these things that I post on my social media they are not the truth. They are not my truth. They, they are just what they are. They are my feelings, you know? And sometimes that's really, I want to just be free to feel, you know? Because I may change my mind. There may be, I may do a podcast in one week saying, you know, showing up, doing this is not cool. But like today, I'm just really fascinated and like, I love to work like that and I enjoy competition. I like that. It fills you up. Yeah, it does. It really does. And it's not because I want to prove something to someone. It's just like, this is my thing. I know. And I am feeling very differently before, though, for me, this is like marathon running. This is the big difference. If you have a value tied to it versus if you just have an achievement orientation to feel validation from it. If you want to just get your ego pumped up so you feel like you are worth. I used to work really, really hard 
because in part, not exclusively, but in part, I was getting my worth out of it, my self-worth and identity. So now that I've burst that bubble, and in the past, it used to be in body image and marathon running. So in the past, I trained for all these marathons, not because I had a value that was driving me, but because my identity was tied up into it and because I wanted to be thin and people respected that you ran marathons. So that's why I did it. All these external factors. Once I tapped into what my real values were, which is moving at the pleasure of my soul, it was like, I don't want to run 26 I don't want to train 18 weeks. I might later run that distance again for other values, but right now I have pleasure does not mean 26.2 miles. So work for me, because it used to be coming from this self-validating place, it was defining who I thought I was so much more. And now it's so nice to not have that be this defining thing. So now I'm more able to relax and like enjoy and invest in other areas of my life more than I used to be because I'm not seeking what cannot be sought from my work. Mm. And for me, I think that like I feel good. Yeah, you're probably getting your values. What do you think your value is? My value? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I think that I just really enjoy completing things. I feel good when I finish something. I feel good when I do what I don't feel like doing, you know? And so I feel good when I do it. And that's kind of, I think, what drives me is that I think people are like, I thought you liked working out, like going to the gym. I'm like, no, I hate it. (laughs) But, you know, I know that I need to, and I push myself to get up and get there. And I always feel better after, but just those things, like even eating healthy, like it assists me in my discipline because I know how I want to live. I know the things that I want. And it's like, I can either sit around complaining about what I want, or I can get up and do the things that make me uncomfortable. So would you like to do one last question? Sounds fantastic. Okay. Do you have any advice on stepping out of the limits you've set for yourself? Like, how do you feel the fear and do it anyway? For me, I tap into my intuition and find out what is true at a deeper level than the fear. And then I hold on, I cling on to that and I take a step of faith. And I've done that enough times now. I've taken enough steps of faith in different areas and different aspects of my life over the last maybe six years that I'm much quicker to take those steps of faith again the next time because I've seen it so clearly demonstrated in the outcomes of the past choices and chances of taking that step and feeling the fear that it's a lot easier to do it now. I still have the fear. I just don't nearly get bothered by it as much uh, because I've seen the outcomes be so much more unanimously positive by following the intuition rather than the fear. Sometimes when I think about limits, I feel like the limits that we have come from others. We don't see something happening or someone tells us that this shouldn't be happening. And so our lives become limited based on what, you know, other people think we should be doing or what we think we should be doing. And as a young woman of color, I can say that we haven't seen ourselves in places before. And so, well, then this is not for me. And I think that it's up to us, you know, no matter who you are, um, or even as just a woman, why not? Or why not me or why not this or who says what, you know? And I think that really assessing these limits and figuring out if they are your own or if they are imposed and it doesn't make, you know, they're still not cool. But I think once you recognize that they're not even your own, it becomes easier to sort of bust through them. Like this is not even my limit. I can do more. And I think I just try to work really hard. I sometimes like, 
I bought this house and I just never thought that it was for me. I just never thought that I would be the kind of person that owned a home or like never. And it's not just a home. (laughs) I've seen it. You're like, it's not just a home. But it's just this thing of I just, I never thought that, I thought, you know, that I would rent. I grew up, I spent my entire childhood from, you know, birth to 18 living in like a 650, 700 square foot apartment. So that is what I just figured I'd always live in an apartment because that's what you did. And so when it came to a point, my accountant was like, you really need to buy a home. And I just put it off, put it off. And then after I paid taxes, I was like, okay. I'm going to do it. I think I didn't realize that that was just a limit that I was setting for myself. And also what I was doing, the the limit, like the limit trickled because then I I wasn't caring about my credit score because I'm like, who cares about my credit score? It's not like I'm going to be doing anything, you know. I'm not buying a home. Right. You know, maybe you really need credit to buy a home. But other than that, you know, I had cash. And so I think there were just these sort of like unconscious limits that I had put on myself. And so that's how I step out of it is to just kind of say, who put this, you know, is this, did I put this on myself or did, you know, did how I was raised do that to me? And I think it's really just a lot of like looking inside of yourself. And the question she said, how do I feel the fear and do it anyway? I feel like if you don't wake up every so often and get a little nervous. You know, if you don't get a little nervous or you don't feel butterflies, you're not really alive. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been feeling it with guys when I'm talking to someone. I'm like, oh my God, I like haven't had this feeling in like 10 years. Like, this is crazy. Yes, you are alive. And it's just like, I think that people, they get that feeling and they think that they should run versus dive in. Like you, this means like go towards it. Don't run from that. When you feel it, I think people's natural reaction is to run from that feeling, embrace that feeling and dive into it. Like I get nervous occasionally. Uh, Sometimes when I have to speak, I get really nervous and I don't freak out. I'm just like, yes. And even if, you know, I preface it, like if I'm going to speak, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm nervous right now. People start to giggle, you know, but I was like, this just lets me know I'm alive. I have a good question for you. How does it feel knowing that you grew up in the 700 square foot apartment to have the home that you now have? How does your family react to it too? The first part is guilt have talked about this in therapy and I have talked about it with other, I have, I know some other successful entrepreneurs who have a similar background. And the first part of it is just feeling bad because you think I lived in that apartment with a family of four and I now live in an almost 4,000 square foot home, like by myself, if you will. And it felt indulgent. It felt unnecessary. It felt gluttonous. And I have worked through that to now realize that all that running that I do, you know, this is what happens when you do that. You know, it's just like you worked so hard to earn the right to do these things. And for a long time, like every time somebody would ask me about the house, not even family, friends, you know, colleagues, like, oh my God, how's the new house? We've seen it on Snapchat and Instagram. And I'm like, oh, all I would do is complain like, oh my God, this is broken. This is terrible. And I got an ant problem and on and on. And I found that I was doing that because I didn't want people to think that I actually liked it. You know, I was in too embarrassed or too afraid to say like, it's amazing. You know, there's an elevator in it. Like I've got three patios. I've got a little gym downstairs. I was too ashamed to say that because I I feel like society did like the market determines 
your price, if you will, you know, and I don't think that there are plenty of people that work just as hard, if not harder than me, but the market says that what they do yield is gets them something different, you know, and so just trying to come to terms with it's okay to earn, it's okay to purchase things, and it's okay to then enjoy them, you know, um, I've had to come to terms with all three of those things, like you earned your butt off, you purchase something with your earnings and it would just be wrong for you to not enjoy it. And does the family get it? Um, I don't know. That's the thing is that, you know, I'm not sure. I think that when I first started to become, I guess, financially successful, because I have all, I have long believed that I was successful. The minute that I was able to have a job that I liked, I was like, and I, and Facebook will even pull up a memory. I was claiming I was successful back then. Like <laughs> success is getting paid to drink wine today. But I think that like over time, because I have begun to purchase things, your family starts to see sort of like, wow, this must cost this. And unfortunately, because I bought a house in a new neighborhood, the price of my house is on the front. You know, it's like home starting at, you know, so you can't really lie about that. (laughs) You're like, this old thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. And I'm like, can you please take the signs down? But I think that, you know, I think it's been an adjustment for all of us. And I think we are still learning, like still learning and trying to understand what the boundaries are. It's not easy. It takes time. But I think it just it boils down to me feeling good about like my choices. And so not to bring up Kobe Bryant again, but to do it because, you know, I'm obsessed. In this article, he stopped supporting his parents financially a a bit ago because they tried to sell his memorabilia. Like they tried to sell like some of his like high school memorabilia or something. So he just like completely cut them off and was just saying that he hated to have to do it. But like he said that he, I think he tried to buy them a house and they were like, this isn't nice enough. And he has two younger sisters whom he would not support financially because he said he didn't want them to resent him. He's like, I want it for them to go out and see what they were made of on their own. And like, I know that they will feel better for that. Like if I would have just financed their life, like who would they become? Does that resonate with you? It does. It resonates with me because in many ways I struggle with if someone asks me for something and I have it, can I say no? Because typically the reason why we, like if you ask me, hey, my lady, can I borrow $100? I'm like, oh, Jess, I don't have it. But when you can't say you don't have it, what do you say? Actually, did you hear Oprah talk about this? What did she say? So she has this whole story about how she was, you know, incrementally making more and more money until I think until she made it her own business. And then it was published and she like like skyrocketed after a quarter million to where she was. So then and it was getting printed in the newspapers. So just like you're saying with your signs outside your subdivision, it was very clearly she was making a ton of money. So no one could could deny and she couldn't deny that she didn't have it. So she would give people the money and she said people always follow the intention. So when your intention is to give them the money so that they think you're a good person, you say yes, so they think you're a good person because you don't want to not have that happen. So you give them it and then they follow the intention of the yes, which is they're going to ask for for more money. And she would get upset. She goes, I just gave you the money. But it took her a while to realize that what they realize is she says yes to giving money. So they would follow the yes and they would come back to her. And so she had to realize that they follow the intention of the the answer you're giving them. And then eventually she had decided she had to say no. And Stevie Wonder, of all people, calls her 
And he asked her to help and support this cause. And he's like, I know you like the children and all this stuff. And he's like putting this on her. And she goes, you know, I, I don't remember how she said no, but she in one way or another says no. And there's this like pause and he's like, catch you later. And he didn't even care. And it was, so she like realized that it was possible to say no and put the boundaries up when she needed to. And I think you can do that. I think it, it sucks sometimes, but you can say no. You have to say no. And... Or one, my therapist always, I remember the first, the first time she said to me, I'd like to give you a gift. And because, you know, all these th- therapeutic boundaries, she can't give me anything. I can't give her anything. And I'm like, what is she talking about? And she was like, I'd like to give you the gift of let me think about it. Just because someone puts you on the spot and asks you something, you can say, let me think about it. And if they come back, you can just say, you're still thinking about it. <laughs> That's a great point. You know what I think about is my values for what I'm focusing on in terms of contribution. So I've been building, actually, this is news for people. I've been building a school with pencils of promise and we've now hit the mark that we needed so that it's going to happen. It's going to be in Ghana and I can't wait. I'm going to go visit it and take everyone with me through the vlog. And it's a really amazing thing because when I started donating and building this school, I didn't, I wasn't making very much money at all, but I was like, if I don't do it, like Tony Robbins says, when you have a dollar, you're not going to do it when you have 10 million. So I started a while ago and now it's happening. And I can have people ask me to donate or contribute to causes, but I'm like putting a big chunk of my money, not even profit, a big percentage of my revenue, top line number into building this school. My energy has been going there. My values have been going there and I've just been focusing. So it's easy for me to know I'm still contributing and I'm giving in ways that are important to me. And this is not a family situation. This is separate, but I feel fine about that. And I feel like I'm still contributing to the greater well-being of the planet. I'm just pouring all of that focus and energy into this one place for this season. And I'm going to make a bigger impact in this moment doing that. And I don't need to say yes to every single option out there. Yeah, that's it. And it's just like, I have, I'm getting better. I'm getting better at learning how to say no, even when I want to do it, you know, I'd love to sometimes, but I simply can't. And what I'm now learning is to cut it off at that. I used to always feel like I need to have, I need to tell people because of this and this and this. No is a complete sentence. Yep. And so I just start backing up the text message. Like I'd say, I'd really love to, but I can't because and now I just delete back. Like, no, you just said it. You'd love to, but you can't. That's it. I think we've just covered the doubts and resistance question. So I'm going to ask you one last question and it's my turn to ask the question. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I think that you have to figure out what the goal of your journey is, you know, and is it peace? Is it enlightenment? Is it contentment? And I know for me that contentment was something that I struggled with because there are a lot of people who will achieve a certain level of success and they don't find contentment because we're always driven for more, you know, nothing is ever enough. And I wanted to learn how to be okay with that. And so Contentment, the very definition is a mental or emotional state of satisfaction, you know, being at ease in one's situation, in one's body, in one's mind. And it's like this acceptance, and they say it's like a milder or more tentative form of happiness. So like this lower, sort of like, not this excitement, but this this sort of flow of happiness. And that's what I was doing. And so I think that you have to focus on your relationship with yourself. There are so many 
things that teach us how to relate well to others. And I do, there are a lot of self-help books, but I think really taking a good look at yourself, taking inventory of self and really healing any sort of trust issues you may have with yourself, you know, any sort of judgment that you may have with yourself and letting go of those limits that we discussed earlier, breaking those limits, breaking those ideals and just gradually learn to trust yourself. And so that is my suggestion and recommendation for anybody just getting started on this journey. Myleek, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Jess, for having me. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Myleek, thank you so much for coming on the show as always. To send Myleek a message, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at Myleek, M-Y-L-E-I-K. And you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Jess C as in Carmen San Diego Lively. For show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash MyLeakTeal2. Now, before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Diana Chaplin of DianaChaplin.com about today's sponsor, Squarespace. Diana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a copywriter and editor and a content strategist for mission-driven entrepreneurs and businesses. I also do some freelance photography. I'm the director of a co-working space in my town, and I have a wellness and inspiration blog called wellspired.com. So I'm kind of a Jane of all trades, and I have a few ventures, but my personal and professional home base is at dianachaplin.com, which is my Squarespace site. What city are you in with your co-working space? I'm in Williamsburg, Massachusetts, which I just moved to from New York City just around this time last year. How are you liking it so far? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's beautiful. It's New England. It's just the greatest thing. Let's move into the Squarespace part of this story. Why did you choose Squarespace for your website? Well, if I can just back up a little bit, just to explain why I chose it. So originally, I've been using a different site provider for wellspired.com, which is my wellness blog. And that's something I started as a side project long before I left my full-time job to become a freelancer. And while I love that site and it's grown really well, it did require professional help to set up. So I had to pay for that. And it's also a little bit complicated on the back end. So when it was time to launch my freelancing business, I really wanted something that was quick and easy that I could put together myself and something that would just look professional and modern. And after shopping around and comparing a few different site hosts, Squarespace became the really clear choice for me. And I think the reason is that I just, I really resonated with their vibe (laughs) Um, because I noticed that different site providers kind of cater to slightly different industries or audiences. And I just felt that Squarespace's templates and offerings really spoke to the creative entrepreneur, which is what I was stepping into. So there was a lot of just instant connection on a subconscious level, I think. So that's why I chose it. And I really love it. What's your favorite part about Squarespace? 
So I think that the overall user experience is just really, really what makes me happy. You know, a lot of people say that it's really quick and easy to use, and that's totally true. And I think that the underlying reason is also just the thoughtfulness that went into creating the platform, the way that the editing menu is laid out, how easy it is to just quickly rearrange things, to customize it, and also the actual options that are there and how long they are with modern businesses, like the Instagram feed that you can integrate, the newsletter subscribe feed that you can literally just click and drag in there, the contact forms that you can just put wherever you want. All of these things, you can also connect with your other accounts like your MailChimp and Google Analytics. You can just do all that with the click of a button. So I just love that. And it's really clear that the makers of Squarespace really thought about simplicity, marketing, and beauty. And it's all just rolled into this one awesome, affordable package that just works. I love that. You said that so well. So for anyone who wants to give Squarespace a try, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively for a free 14-day trial. So try it out for two weeks. And if you like it, you can get 10% off of your paid service by entering the code lively at checkout. Diana, where can people find you online again? You can find me at dianachaplin.com or wellspired.com, like inspired, but well. And I'm also uh, wellspired on Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Diana. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. And now for a sneak peek. Next week on the show, I'm unveiling our first all-star for May. I'm going to give you some hints and see if you can guess which guest is coming on again. This is the episode that had a huge sigh of relief for everyone frustrated with the concept of following your passion. In addition, I personally always try to remember this guest's perspective, remembering that we are always a student in life. And whenever I fall short of living my own values and want to beat myself up, I do literally think about this guest and what she said about when she falls short of her own values. And it is, last but not least, someone who describes her childhood as a little bit like the women in the book, Little Women. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 